0: Hello, I'm Dr. Amalia Gonis Welcome to Humanity Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self emancipation, human rights, democracy, and much more. This is our final broadcast of 2023. Join us for a special compilation of select programs over the last year. We hope to inspire you through the words of four remarkable women who are role models in their fields. Namibia's Minister of Justice, Yvonne Dawsab, demonstrates some of the factors that strengthen gender parity in Namibia. Professor Liesel van Dijk, the Executive Dean of the Faculty of Engineering at Northwest University, encourages women to seek career opportunities in engineering. Judge Soma Naidu, a permanent judge of the Free State High Court, talks about her foray into the law and what it means to practice as a judge. We close today's show with world-acclaimed soprano Priti Yende, who reminds us to follow our dreams. Our first guest in this feature is Namibia's Minister of Justice, Yvonne Dalsak, and she starts the conversation discussing some of her effective leadership strategies.
1: A few of them, I think the the one is definitely to support other females, you know, and in real support, you know, whether it is to assist with uh, reviewing, uh, you know, maybe speeches in the National Assembly, if you'd like, uh, or even providing guidance, if you'd like, uh, to other cabinet colleagues. So support of females, I think, is important. And also to focus on key areas of your mandate, because I think sometimes we can get distracted to be involved in all sorts of struggles uh, while it's important, I think we must know that you have limits as a human being, firstly, but also you have limits because of the portfolio that you hold at a particular time. So it's important that you focus on on the key f- mandate that you have. The third one, I think, is is relationships, building relationships across party lines, across gender lines, across various aspects of diversity, because that's what's going to help you see different perspectives that people hold. So, you know, not to be part of cliques and, and clubs. I avoid that. The, the other thing that I think I did well is to to be kind in my criticism of other people's work because it helps also with people kind of giving you similar courtesy when you need it. But of course, uh, without shying away uh, from providing honest opinions about views that you have, even around the kinds of programs that we are undertaking. The the other issues that I think that are important is the kind of relationship that I have with my staff members and my cabinet colleagues, uh, members of parliament. So building those relationships. And then the other key strategy is you must read and you must always be ready you know for everything you know if and i think also to participate in activities that brings out your strengths and then you must be available to assist that's also a strategy uh, in itself if you are always absent from people's things so to show up you know when time and resources allow to show up is important. I think that for me has kept me kind of sane over the past four and a almost four and a half years of being the Minister of Justice.
0: Thank you for sharing some of your insights into leadership because no one's got a singular recipe. Everybody does things in, yeah. in a slightly different way. And it's always interesting to see what's what's new and, and what yeah. works. I've um, long been an admirer of Namibia in terms of female leadership, particularly in the fact that you've got a female prime minister since, I think, 2015, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, since 2015. Deputy female prime minister. And I often think about this as a role modeling effect. And if that perhaps encourages women in the country to pursue their ambitions and also be accepted by all.
1: I think there there is certainly to have, you know, the prime minister, the deputy prime minister, our prime minister was actually the minister of finance uh, before she became prime minister. So I think it's it's good role modeling for, for young women, uh, even for those of us who came after them to be in these positions. So, yes, I agree with you that there is an aspect of role modeling. I, I do wonder, though, about the question around acceptance by all, because you know, whether we, we want to accept it or not, the lived realities of many women, even professional women, women, even in the legal profession, the conversations are happening. There's still a, a great sense of of patriarchal presence. There's still a presence of uh, misogyny, if you'd like. There's still a presence of a men's club, if you'd like. and And that kind of cascades down to even school levels and in their homes. And so the question for me rather is, it's how men, particularly men in positions of power and influence, look at the, the questions of what kind of men are we bringing up and how do they relate to women? So I'm not sure whether there is complete acceptance. I think there's tolerance in some instances and there's also a lot of support for the role that women play in in these spaces, I have myself as a woman minister experienced some challenges with uh, male colleagues. You know, uh, many of them younger in, in in lower positions. Because as the minister, I'm heading an entire ministry that has four constitutional offices: the ombudsman, the prosecutor general, and the attorney general, administratively under its wing. Uh, for instance, and and still, you find. People resisting uh, that change, you know, because people have not yet completely accepted that a woman can be at the top, uh, for instance. I mean, we are likely, you know, when the ruling party takes over, uh, you know, leadership in 2025, we're going to have the first woman president in Namibia. Uh, But you can you can see, you know, in the corridors and and hushed conversations, there is a little bit of discomfort about that reality for, for some men, not most of them, of course. So, so I think these conversations are ongoing. You know, uh, Dr. Amalia, I've, I, when I was reading Lean In by, by the former COO of uh, Meta, I don't know whether you've seen the title Lean In, and, and there was actually a supposition that the question around gender parity, gender equality may have actually stagnated. We have beautiful policies. We've got some good work that has gone into the questions around gender equality. But I think there's also a good part that has kind of come to a standstill because we are now starting to focus on uh, the place of the boy child. We're starting to talk about women overtaking men. So there's still a bit of work that needs to be done. Uh, in that area, I think. But there is there is a lot of progress and I think the fact that I'm the Minister of Justice as a female from a school in Kadutura, for example, is being a great role model. My picture is up on the walls at Aishipena and Kadutura, for instance. So, you know, they, they, it makes the young girl and the young boy believe that someone that has come from a school in Kadutura can become the Minister of Justice or can become the Prime Minister or can become the Deputy Prime Minister, or even become the President of the country. My President always says, you know, if the story is that he was a child, a farmer's child, a farmer's child can also become a President. I think role modeling is important in that
0: sense. You are representation when you talk about your background, where you came from, what you've achieved, where you are today, and how that represents for both boys and girls. Namibia, in terms of other African countries, is really miles ahead when I look at data that comes out of the World Economic Forum. Every year, they publish their Gender Gap Index, which goes across four dimensions. And Namibia ranks eighth in the world. Yes. Tell us what you're doing right. I think what we
1: did right um, is when the ruling party took a decision to have a policy entrenched in their constitution that says there must be 50-50 representation in every activity that the Swapo party undertakes. I think that's one of the things that we did right. The second thing that I think we did right is, is that at the UN level, for instance, when Namibia sponsored the conflict, I can't get the right, uh, terminology now because I can't remember it, but there was an important resolution on women and peace that Namibia sponsored. And so uh, some of the things that I think we do get right is the fact that we actively participate at international and regional level in promoting gender equality more generally, but also specifically as it affects Namibia. The the third thing I think we're doing right is the fact that we have very good policies. You know, just recently, maybe a month or two ago, we reviewed our national gender policy to assess how far have we come, Uh, is form and substance working together. And and so we're now working on developing the new 10 years of our gender policy. So we have a very strong gender policy. And obviously, the other thing is to recognize and have those conversations at a national level, whether it's in the National Assembly, whether it's in Cabinet, we have candid conversations about where we are finding ourselves, if sixty percent of our graduates are girls and more and more girls are going to school, you know what is the place of our boy child and And we have an honest conversation about that. We're starting to have honest conversations about the place of the man in our society. Just recently, we discovered that you know there was a higher percentage of men committing suicide in Namibia, so we take stock that's the other thing that i think we we're doing right but some of the other things uh policy wise is the fact that when the conversation happens we take active steps earlier this year a young lady published an article lamenting the absence of women in the supreme court and also uh, not having an equal number of women represented on on the high court benches and Uh, Following that article and and other conversations, you know, the chief justice appointed three women, although in acting positions, uh, two Namibians and one Zimbabwean judge to the Supreme Court for a period of one year. So, you know, when the conversation starts, we actually take steps to to respond to it. And I think that's one of the other things that we're doing right. The, the, The strengthening of legislation is important. All of the new legislation that we are passing, whether it's on land, uh, there's a huge land bill uh, that will be considered by the National Assembly uh, not not so long from now. Um, You know, conversations around gender-based violence, domestic violence, sexual violence, or or children's rights, for instance. There is an emphasis on having focal areas, women, uh, persons with disabilities, uh, marginalized communities, so that those kinds of policy frameworks, so in every conversation, every policy, every law that we pass or consider, those areas are often highlighted. And I think that helps with creating a culture of gender parity, if you'd like, and and really taking active steps to make it happen.
0: That was the Minister of Justice from the Republic of Namibia, Yvonne Dalserp. Share your comments on Twitter at WomanityTalk. The demand for workplace skills based on STEM subjects, namely science, technology, engineering and mathematics, is growing. These fields have traditionally been male-dominated. The question of how we can increase the throughput of women in engineering is answered by our next guest. Here is Professor Liesel van Dijk, the Executive Dean of the Faculty of Engineering at Northwest University.
2: I started our discussion when you asked about my journey. I started by by, uh, my journey starting as a young girl, and that is that is where we should start. Is is the, the message that's put through to, to young girls as, as early as when they play as early as when in, in nursery school or in primary school, I get assignments um, as early as when uh, storybooks are written and the main character uh, is decided upon. Uh, why should the engineer be male? Why can't the engineer be female? Um, and then further on us was in the field. To to be prominent, to show, to to be who we are. Um, I also don't want to be a woman in engineering. I'm an engineer who's also a woman, and and showing that to the girls. Um, so so role models is very important, and this this uh, program that you have, the series that you have, is is, is really very instrumental also in, in accomplishing that. Um, it's also it's also very useful. It's uh, we can see the effect also of that that we get also from industry very targeted programs financial support. It is true there is bursary opportunities for for girls um, studying same subjects, which which is good. And we work with industry and with with the bursaries to make sure that the placements can be done well enough, also to encourage them in in that way. And and then once they've started the studies. Um, it's it's important that um we are, once they graduate once girls graduate once women have graduated and have their degrees that they also have role models and um and be steered in in the right directions in terms of their career
0: does the university have any outreach programs and part of the reason that i ask this is sometimes we simply just don't know what the opportunities are that that are available, and when you're exposed to things, it it stimulates your thinking, and you you see that there's possibilities that you were completely unaware of. So I'm just curious on on what the university does. Our university has a quite outreach. Quite a few
2: outreach programs, and then our faculty specifically, I will I will share a few. Uh, we have a program we call it the Ekateling program, which is about engaging with school children. Uh, it's not only gender based; it's it's all school children who is in in, in um, at schools who do not have. A, a very well-functioning math and science and, and, um, teaching processes, uh, we identify the high potential, um, learners and have additional programs, additional support for them so that they can, can be, um, can be supported and can be grown, um, at, at the young age. Uh, our faculty specifically also have a similar program like that. That program is called the Excel program. It's focused at learners who came from schools where they did do math and science, but again, didn't have the opportunity to really excel in maths and science. So we have a program in which we allow them and support them to redo their maths, their, their matric year so that they can, they can really get that math and science um, foundation that they will need. Um, In terms of exposing goals to role models, we have a program which we called Femgineering, um, and um, it's a program in which annually, and and I must also admit we get or or recognize that we get sponsorships from the theatre, the manufacturing engineering theatre. So it's it's a combined program that we have, a collaboration, and um, we bring the girls to our university. We let them spend a, a day with our uh, our, our female uh, students, with our female staff. We bring in engineers from industry, uh, and we really expose them to to female role models. And that's that's really a very successful program. Then there's a program that our faculty is doing in collaboration with our university business school. It's called Innovate Her innovator with the her in in, in capital letters Um, and it's a program in which my colleague from the business school um, take uh, the school teams of, of, of school children and it, it's not only it's not only goals the teams are comprised of a combination but it's focused on encouraging the the goals that there's a certain ratio to be to be adhered to and they come up with a nice idea they come into the program with a nice idea or just it's just a problem that they want to be solved and they're taken systematically and coached in problem solving in innovation and when they end out with that program they actually have a, a solvable and a business plan and and a whole, whole way of taking this forward so um, the winners then have an opportunity to take their program even further but even everyone everyone that participates get that that uh, um mentorship and that training um, in terms of innovation that, that's a few that i can think of there is more but that that's a good sample of what what we are doing
0: yeah i love that of being able to take a nascent idea through to the implementation stage having the competitiveness there as well because then you've got your your peer is as good is this good enough uh and understanding that's that's how the real world operates and and it's Beautiful
2: solutions that that we get out of there, and and the the, the type of solutions, and we also encourage them it's the whole thing of changing the world for the better. It's solutions that should make a difference in community. Um, so so it's it's really beautiful the the impact that comes from programs like like those.
0: With our program, Humanity, Women in Unity, it's it's really about celebrating women's achievements, but also acknowledging the fact that the gains that we've had, there's also been a certain amount of of struggle to to get to this point. And you mentioned earlier, changing male mindsets is, is one of the areas that we, we have to tackle because the reality is that the world and the, let's say the world of work was really structured around man's hours. It wasn't structured around woman's hours. So what I wanted to ask you is if you could share a couple of obstacles that you may have encountered in your career and how you overcame them as a means of lessons to younger women that may experience a similar situation.
2: I can, I can maybe I can just first start I, I, I'm definitely going to talk about obstacles but I, I would also like to start by saying that there's also a lot of opportunities so 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 there's things in your way and you must ask yourself is it an obstacle or is it an opportunity and it's often m- more easy to grab an opportunity and make the best of it than, than trying to, to, to get around an obstacle um, but I, I, I think the obstacles in, in our way Um, aren't always so clear so so but the the obstacles that I that I had in in my career wasn't uh, you can't go here because you're women it was things that at first I didn't realize it was it was less tangible it was preconceptions I for example the, the conception of oh you are here because you're women you were you were promoted or you were put in this management position because you're a woman i had to work extra hard to to show that i'm in this position because i'm the right person to 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 do this so the fact that these opportunities also changed my my perceptions that you're there for 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 gender reasons and not for the reason that you're the right person but i i i must say it's 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 not everyone that has those perceptions but it took me time to realize that those perceptions exist. Um, I also think we must acknowledge that uh, there's certain things, certain ways in which uh, women manage, typically, and I'm, I'm stereotyping now, which is which is typical uh, typical to women. Um, so what I've what I've noticed for myself at some stage is when I write an email. Um, I may phrase it differently as some of my counter parts. I, I put in the word please and will you and will you do that? And I will appreciate it so much if you do it. And I, I noticed it. It was I, I didn't realize it before, but it was a fact. If I read my emails and I read my read my colleagues' emails, it was much more. Uh, uh, trying to encourage in, 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 inclusive than instructing, and I, I'm I'm not sure if it's a personality thing or if it's a gender thing. But I also know, and you can read literature about it, that there is a, a, a female way of a, a female vocabulary and a male vocabulary, and and both genders can use it. But but I had to deliberately ask myself, but I'm using this as a certain way of of giving an, an instruction without without um defying my personality I needed to 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 make sure that I put it in a register that is appropriate for that for that so it's it's small things things that I have not um thought of and I have not seen once i'm in the in the position but being being mindful of the fact that people are different and and understanding yourself um that's the that's the key of 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 getting over stumbling blocks understanding yourself and understanding how it influenced uh, people's reaction to you
0: that was the executive dean of the faculty of engineering at northwest university professor Liesel van deng post your comments on twitter at womanity talk moving from one traditionally male-dominated field to another The law. We now hear from Judge Soma Naidu, who is a permanent judge of the Free State High Court. She talks about some of the obstacles she faced as a woman, recent legislative changes that empower women, and the role of the South African chapter of the International Association of Women Judges to build up a pipeline of female judges. Judge Naidu, you started your own legal practice in a field that was not particularly welcoming to women.
3: Very much so. I, I, it was such a male-dominated world when I started out as a young attorney. I was the only woman doing criminal work. It was a rarity to see a woman in doing criminal work at that stage. But I did a fair amount of criminal work as well as, as commercial and civil work. Um, and you know, for me. Um, I always wore my my red dot, as you can see, you know, which says I'm a married Hindu woman. And that, that was something that blew people away. What was this? And I don't know whether they felt that if you wore the dot, you were not as intelligent as you should be, you know. And I experienced that as well. And, um, you know, in court, magistrates, for instance, as a young attorney, looked at me and thought, oh, what does she know? You know, and... Um, until I showed them what I know, and and you 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 have these barriers all along the way, but for me I realized that you've got to make your work speak for itself, the quality of your work, you've got to make your conduct, the manner in which you carry yourself, count, and it did, you know. Um, they say you can't keep a good woman down for long. And I made that a reality to, for them to understand. I put people in a position where they could not deny the merit of your work. They could not deny your worth. And I think
0: that's important. That's a great piece of advice. In your view, what do you say have been some of the most important recent laws or, or reforms that have passed that have been in the best interests of women?
3: Well, let's start with the Constitution. I mean, that lays the ground rules. And if you look at, especially in women's rights, I mean, you, if you look at the, the right to equality, the the right to life, the right to freedom and security in person, those are all dealing with human rights, which are essentially women's rights. Because if you look at that, you know, with gender based violence being what the president has referred to as the second pandemic, um that we start with the Constitution. It lays down the ground rules and and emanating from that, you know, we would have then, for instance, the Domestic Violence Act, which has been around a while. Um, you have employment equity. Um, you would have the, the, the Sexual Offenses Act dealing with rape where they've expanded the meaning of rape. A sexual assault has an expanded meaning, you know, certain acts which previously would not have qualified as either rape or sexual assault do now. So, you know, that has expanded the protection because rape victims are largely women or, or for the most part, women or girl children. Although more and more, I find males and male children also becoming victims. But it it has expanded the meaning of rape and sexual assault, which then widens the protection that that one can give. And I think recently there's the National um, Coalition on Gender-Based Violence and Femicide bill. Uh, Last year, this bill was introduced and they're looking to to make that law. So I, I think... If one looks at, like the Domestic Violence Act, the Constitution, Sexual Offences Act, and all the related legislation, there is protection for for vulnerable people and women. But unfortunately, gender-based violence, in spite of, of that legislation, has just skyrocketed
0: tonight we've spoken about the work that you do, the, the, the types of interventions that have been put in place. Um, one point that I wanted to tap onto now is almost, I guess, your your development and development of other women judges in the country. I know that you're a longstanding member of the South African chapter of the International Association of Women Judges. You've served as the organization's deputy president, national treasurer, as well as yes. vice president of programs and publications. Mm-hmm. What would you say have been some of the benefits or opportunities that you've been exposed to throughout your involvement with the association?
3: Well, you know, for one thing, um, with our outreach work, it, it brings acute awareness of how dire the situation some women find themselves in and the need for us to use our positions as judicial officers to try and influence change in in the lives of those women. Um, And that comes with not just the outreach programs that we do. Um, Initially, you know, we would, for instance, be involved in the Take a Girl Child to Work uh, program. We would go out into communities, do awareness-raising lectures and talks and interactions. But we have developed many programs along the way. And the opportunities for us there, for instance, mentorship. Uh, Mentorship is a big thing in in the chapter. Uh, We do it, um, mentoring programs with university students, law students, as well as young attorneys, for instance, people who are just about to enter and who have just entered the profession It gives one that opportunity to work with these young women to empower them, give them guidance, mentor them, take them through what the legal profession entails and also guide them to the various avenues within the profession that that is open to them. It also helped build networks. You know, an organization um, like the South African Chapter, which is affiliated to the international body in Washington, as well as to to, uh, interacting with sister chapters on the continent and in the world. It builds tremendous networks, and that is so important in career development. It's so important in personal development that you have these networks. And and the the International Association of Women Judges, and specifically the South African chapter, has afforded us as members that opportunity which we are then able to pass on to the younger ones coming into the profession and hopefully one day will be members
0: of the chapter as well. That was Judge Soma Naidu, who is a permanent judge of the Free State High Court. We welcome your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. We close today's show with acclaimed opera singer Priti Yende. She reminds us about following passion and finding purpose. She takes us back to the moment that ignited her passion for singing, specifically opera.
4: Well, I think destiny is the word that comes to mind immediately because I grew up in a very loving family upbringing and there was always music in the house. I remember every after supper we would sing hymns from the church, everybody at home. So the seed of music was already there. But it's only in 2001 when one fine pretty evening watching TV and the British Airways popped up on the screen with this amazing duet from Dead Lieb, which is called the Flower Duet from Lacme. All those melodies in just 10 seconds opened the door of many endless possibilities that I never knew existed. It felt like somebody had woken me up. I was asleep and suddenly I was woken up. So there was light and then I immediately went to my high school teacher at the time to ask him what it was. And he told me it's called opera at 16 at the time. I had no idea that it was even, you know, something humanly possible or that it had a name. So I asked him, is it humanly possible? Because it sounded supernatural. And he said, of course, pretty, you can be taught. I said, well, my grandmother taught me how to sing. Definitely, if you can teach me, then I can do this. So you must teach me. So that's how the journey pretty journey hashtag started and as they say the rest is history so can you imagine a girl from Petra hearing that thinking but I know music but this I don't know what is it it opened something in my heart that I immediately had that inkling I wanted to share it with as many people the people have to feel this because I felt it and I want I want to share it so that, that agency, that quest never stopped. And I'm so grateful because it's one thing when you're touched by something that you might fall to be passionate about and be able to do it. And another where you don't have the means to do it. So I was really blessed that the gift was already there and the light was already there, ready to burn and brighter. So it was no longer under the table. <laughs> it wasn't on top of the table for all to be lit.
0: Where is it- that you want to take opera, you part of this industry, it's a traditional industry. Is there any direction that that you want to see it going through to now that you've been exposed to this world? It is your world.
4: I think I'm very grateful now that I have come to doubt myself less whether, I mean, I've always asked myself, do I really belong here? Do I really need to do this? Am Am I, can I, can I, can I? Finally, with all the successes that I have had the privilege of having, I realize that that's no longer a question. Now I need to understand how I would like to live from now on, because obviously I really, really belong here. And there's something that I need to say through my gift with all these incredible um, engagements that I get to see. One of the things that I wish more than anything is the perception of thinking that it belongs to some. And not to some, I totally disagree with that, and my hope is that we can all understand and appreciate that this gift of music is for all humanity it's the so- it's really soul food <laughs> it's not just for some, and that privilege is ours as human beings and I wish that you know audiences can be from any walk of life just those hours for us to just come into that table of virtue and just sit and let the melodies take us and we take that richness and wealth with us when we go to our homes hopefully we become kinder to one another and then that kindness and love and compassion it also just goes to the world and this world of ours becomes a better place
0: Mm. that's such a, a beautiful and important sentiment With us being a gender-based show, and we go across literally every sector of industry, from academia through to politics, through to the business world, the sporting arena, to the entertainment um, space, but one of the things that I often find is that there are always some type of of gender discrepancies, whether it is issues of uh, not being able to have equal pay, or equal opportunities what would you say have been some of your experiences or, or gender challenges that you've you've confronted during your career?
4: I believe the biggest one was that I was always the youngest in the room, and so the perception was that I do not know enough. It is true that um, you know age and experience can be misleading in a way when a gift just is able to do what what I cannot say with my words. I noticed at the beginning that I would enter a room and looks so would be like, why are you here? Or uh, you're too young to understand. But the, the immediately when I started to make music, everyone in that room could hear that they cannot negate that. And so the world of opera is also very male dominant. And so that too makes it quite uncomfortable at times for, for women. And especially also most of the directors can be um, you know gay. And the compassion for women can sometimes be a little bit compromised because we might be pushed Further than we would like, and those challenges are still there, you know. And so, the lack of respect um, sometimes for women can be there. That, that you find yourself forced in a way, for a lack of a better way, to wear a certain costume, to be a certain size. Uh, you have to be thinner. You have to be. You have to look like a model, sing like an angel, and act like Meryl Streep. <laughs> you know, so those challenges are quite difficult, and they're more, uh, main, mainly for women. Guys don't have them as much. Guys can have their steaks and beers, but we need to have our salad <laughs> and go to gym,
0: <laughs> which is where you are now,
4: <laughs> right? Right. But I, I, I decided um, when I saw those those challenges, I said to myself, I need to find a way to protect my gift. I need to find a way to make the other girl know that you don't have to do that in order to have a successful career. So we are born all unique and beautifully unique the way we are. Our instruments are just as valid as we are. The important thing that pretty must take care of is her health. My health is important. I need to be able to jump. I need to be able to walk and enjoy my gift on the stage. If I find myself that I cannot jump as much or kneel and get up as easy, then I need to do something about it. But it's not about the size of my hips or the curl of my hair. It is about my gift. What is this able to do? And we are seeing more and more women telling the industry that you cannot put us in one box because we are not born in one box. And so there's some kind of change, but it will take some time.
0: As we wrap up today's conversation, please, can you share a few words of inspiration or wisdom or motivation That you'd like to pass on to girls and women who are listening to us in the continent. Dear
4: somebody, may you know that you are absolutely precious and unique and you are in this world for a great and wonderful purpose. Don't let the world stop you. Don't let them cut your wings. They don't know you. You have visions. You see yourself there, catch yourself there. The world is always last to catch up. So don't let them stop you before you even give birth to your dream. The incredible time that we are living in right now, it's so endless with so many possibilities. The world is even smaller than before. Opportunities are even more than before. So like Mandela said, don't play small, play bigger. And if you fall, like we were children, we would laugh and get up and walk again. So don't give up. Don't give up. Don't look at me and think that I have had it easy. I deserve it. Yes, I do. But it's also been very hard. The trick is not to stop, is to keep going and keep going fighting for that wonderful soul that you are
0: we hope that this compilation encourages you to pursue possibilities and purpose warm wishes for the festive season from womanity